All right, and we're live. Thank you, all my listeners, for joining us on the Late Morning Program with Namras Podcast. My name is Namras. This is episode 41, From Hip Hop to Bhakti. I'm with my friend here, Jay Chaitanya. Thank you so much for joining me, Jay Chaitanya. I appreciate it. So a little housekeeping things. Uh, I have a fundraiser that I'm uh, fundraising for, for the next, this 2021 um, expenses that I have for this podcast. So please think about uh, donating www.latemorning.show. Uh, check it out. And um, yeah, so let's just get into it. JJ Tanya is a very fascinating person. I was just talking to him about this, that he is uh, an Indian uh born, uh, I mean, he, American born Indian like myself who grew up here in America, but, but very much, uh, devoted himself and also committed himself to living in a temple an ISKCON temple for a number of years. So I'd like to hear his story. Uh, he worked with KRS one, uh, he's very much into hip hop. He's very much into book distribution. Like these are very interesting things. So let's just get into it. So Jay Chaitanya, tell us a little bit about your upbringing. Like, where did you grow up and, and like, what was it like? Yeah, well, first off, I just want to thank you, Namras Prabhu, for having me. No problem. Um, Super excited. I, I feel like this is it's better than being on Oprah. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm actually born and raised in LA, Orange County, my whole life. Um, and I can say that I was born with uh, two great fortunes. Um, so the first great fortune was my grandmother. Um, my grandma's name, her name is Dharmishta. And I feel like she, she taught me Dharma, you know, right, according right. to her name. Um, she was the one who uh, gave me my first japa beads when I was very young. Uh, she taught me how to chant the Maha Mantra. Um, my my parents they were working full time nine to five so and I, I didn't really like daycare so I'd just be staying with her um, and she was also very musical she'd always be playing the piano and uh, things like that so this is what I was kind of picking up um, she also really liked the show Wheel of Fortune but that's like a, I think a lot sorry. of Indian people like that show <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you so, knew yeah. you knew Krishna like in your childhood. Yeah, yeah, I was uh, Krishna was like my hero. He was my best friend. Um, I would talk to him all the time, and uh, especially when I went into uh, public school, I felt like I didn't really connect with any of the children there. So mm. during lunch and recess, I just sit alone in the grass and I hang out with Krishna. Um, mm. And, you know, when I would see like the other gods, like, oh, like, yeah, you're, you're an elephant. You're cool. Um, you got like long hair, Shiva, you're all right, but you're not like Krishna. Krishna's the coolest, you know? <laughs> so that, that was my uh, relationship. Right. Um, and, and my grandma kind of instilled all those values in me. Um and so then that was the first great fortune, I would say. And then the second great fortune were my parents. And my parents were very uh, pious, religious, spiritual. And from a very early age, they kept taking me to India um, when I was two, 
five, seven, nine, it just kept going. And, you know, the consciousness of a, of a child is just like a sponge. They really absorbs so much from those early uh, periods. So I was experiencing just a lot of magic going to India, seeing these magnificent temples. I remember like going through caves to get to a temple. Mm. Uh, I remember going like to the top of the mountain peaks and things like that, seeing these sacred rivers, just, just a lot of majestic feelings were coming through. And I was experiencing a lot of awe and wonder in my life. Um, but then I also saw uh, the other side to India, which was the third world poverty. Right. And uh, I've never seen um, people in such a um, dire condition. Uh, but it was really interesting to me because I would see these kids, the slum, the slum children in the villages, and they had like these big smiles on these on their faces, and I couldn't understand them. Like they don't have anything. Like why are they why, why are they smiling? Why, why are they so happy in life? Right, right. And then I I'd compare that to then going back to my public school, you know, in like this rich posh area. Mm. And these kids were so angry. And it's like, why are you so angry? You have everything. <laughs> like maybe you didn't get the video game on time or something like that. Right. So very early, I just started um, questioning like the meaning of happiness and what wow. is it that truly makes you happy. Um, and, and like I mentioned, I, I wasn't able to plug in and fit into this uh, Western education school system. Uh, I feel that to put a child in a desk for six hours and learn subjects which he has no interest in, it, interest in is not the way to ju judge a child's intelligence. Right. Some kids need to move to think there's other ways to understand a child's intelligence. Wow. And actually, actually for me, the desk is like the biggest enemy <laughs> D-E-S-K, it stands for discouraging every single kid. And oh, that's, wow. Yeah, that's how I truly felt about it. Wow, wow. That's, I mean, there's a lot of uh, other educational kind of strategies that people are using these days, like, you know, whether it's homeschooling or I remember Raghunath in the previous podcast said his children go into the forest and this like forest school thing and they like mm -hmm. play in the dirt and, and all things like that. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's something that, I mean, you, you, you kind of are, you, you kind of realize that early on, huh? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and just kind of experiencing uh, life in India. Like I remember going to the beach very early in the morning with my grandfather um, in India. Um, they were in Mumbai, so we would go to Juhu Beach often. And um, it would probably be like 6 a.m. The whole beach is packed. It's like filled with people. It's like a party's going on. And then I would see these school buses come. And then the kids would come out of the school buses. They'd all sit cross-legged and they'd watch the sun come up. And that wow. was part of their curriculum. So wow. I was just comparing that to what I was experiencing. Right, right, right. Um, and, and so, yeah, uh, I couldn't plug in with school. I couldn't plug in with any of the kids at school. And I just, um, I'd be hanging out with Krishna, um, talking to him and, 
yeah, I was I was just a big lover of Krishna. Um, mm. So much, so much. And even like when my parents had to tell me something, but I would think like they're lying. I'd be like, promise to Krishna. Like, are you telling the truth? Wow. Promise to Krishna. <laughs> and then, you know, they'd have to like admit they're lying. <laughs> right. Um, and, and so, yeah, that was kind of like what was going on. Mm-hmm. And then I would say at probably like age seven or eight, I had an extremely... Uh, spiritual experience uh, when I went to India. My uh, parents took me to this very sacred land, Haradwar. Um, it's where Maitreya and Vidura spoke the Bhagavatam. It's where the Ganga River flows. It's at the foothills of the Himalayas. And this city just really took me over because it would probably be like six, seven o'clock at night. The sun is coming down and the whole city comes out and people are lighting candles, they're going to the Ganga River, they're playing music. It was like the most magical atmosphere I ever felt. Mm. Um, And because the Ganga River is so holy, it attracts all kinds of people. So it was the first time in my life I saw a uh, a leper colony and I saw people missing their legs, their arms, their noses were melted, they were missing their eyes. And I just, I, I couldn't believe this. And it, it got me, um, you, you can imagine, like I'm at the, I'm at right at the Ganga River and I'm seeing all this and I'm like staring at my hand and I'm just asking like, who, who am I? And why am I here on this planet even? Wow. And where am I going to go after I die? Like everything just goes away like what happens and so with these deep questions of course then going back to the schools those subjects I just totally rejected and I, I became a little bit of a rebel because um, I felt like school wasn't sparking um, these deeper truths in life um, so I became the you know the kid who sits in the back of the class I got my you know, hoodie up all the time. Um, I'm writing like uh, graffiti in my notebooks. I'm writing rhymes and poems. And um, I just really uh, took to the culture of hip hop. Like I had a strong uh, pull for what they represented, which is kind of like, um, it's it's counterculture. Hip hop is counterculture in its essence. Mm. And, seeing what I saw in Haradwar, I just felt that life is so temporary, life is so short, and I don't just wanna be like on this assembly line of going through college, then getting a job, getting a degree and such and such. I wanna really experience life to its fullest and I wanna go for my dreams. And I was very much into music. Uh, Music was something that was um, so strong in me, I would go to the libraries and I would read about artist biographies. I would study the billboard charts. Uh, Back then we had cassettes and I would be like creating mixtapes by recording what I'd heard here on the radio and, you know, give it out to people. Um, And and that eventually led me into uh, DJing. And what I would do was I would make these remixes uh, mixing like hip hop and Indian music together. Right. And 
that eventually led to making hip hop and Indian beats. Um, so this style of music that I was making, it started to kind of um, create a buzz within like the circles that I was involved in. And um, I just felt that after high school, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go for my passions and dreams. So I then enrolled into a music school. Mm. And you can say that enrolling into a music school was kind of like me being a fish back in water. Um, for the first time, I was sitting up front in the classes and I started getting straight A's. And I even remember once like running home to my mom with my report card and just saying like, look, mom, I'm, I'm not dumb. Like, look at my grades. I'm not dumb. The, the right. schools before they were lying to me. Um, I'm smart, you know, so wow. I was I was having like those types of experiences. Um, and and by making these beats, I then eventually got into the um, recording studios and started interning at different record labels. And uh, I started working with these hip hop rappers that I I grew up listening. Mm. Um, so this was kind of like, wow, like my dreams are starting to come true but what was that like when when you say like you were uh working with them like it seems it to me that someone like you like who is very spiritually minded that maybe uh working with that kind of culture could be a little bit difficult because it's like a lot about maybe it's my misconception but it's a lot about like flashy things and like uh cars and girls and all kinds of things so like what was that like i mean you're you're kind of very come from coming from a very sheltered upbringing right for sure and you know maya is very strong so i was definitely like swept away with that type of culture as well it, it definitely had like an influence on me but i would always um think back to my grandma and the dharma that she put in me and i just felt that you know i've, I've been raised by such a strong culture and I don't know if I can be um, involved in this type of environment because that that type of setting that I was involved in, I mean, I saw a lot of violence. I saw guns. I saw drugs, hardcore drugs. Um, I saw crime. I saw a lot of stealing going on. And it was just really, it was really dark. It was a really dark place. Mm. And um I didn't know what to do at that point because I invested everything into going into uh, this career of music. And now that I'm finally here and the people that I'm around, I just, it just felt like I had no place to go. Um, wow. So uh, at this time, uh, there was a new website that came out. It was called YouTube. And uh, YouTube just came out and people were posting like all of these uh, how-to videos. They were posting lectures, etc. And I came across this uh, personality named KRS-One. He was um, giving a lecture um, at a university and he was talking about the essence to hip-hop culture and how hip-hop is something beyond entertainment. It actually has a very deep spiritual source. And this like immediately attracted me because my whole world has been hip hop and spirituality. Um, and uh, you know, the things that he was saying even, like he was talking about 
this even this term hip hop uh hip means awareness and hop means to move mm. so hip hop means to move with awareness and wow. then he, he connected that to arjuna on the bhagavad gita he said that this is the story of arjuna and krishna that krishna is trying to teach arjuna meditation in action and meditation in action is the same thing as hip hop so when i heard that i'm like he's talking about krishna he's talking <laughs> about hip hop like who is this person very um, cool and i didn't even know at the time that his name krs actually stood for krishna right i just wanted to i just wanted to add in there that um from the history that i know about him is that in new york he was like a homeless kind of person and and the devotees would uh would kind of shelter him and give him prasadam and things and they named him krishna actually and yeah. so his name was Krishna, and the KRS want the like you said the KRS comes from Krishna, but it the whole acronym stands for Knowledge Reigns Supremely Over Nearly Everyone. So he's That's like right. this very conscious uh, rapper, uh, and, and in in the sense of he was like you said he was speaking a lot about uh, things about the about uh, you know spiritual life and uh, Bhagavad Gita and things like that. Yet yeah, continue. So I just wanted to add that. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, and I, I was never really exposed to that conscious side of hip hop growing up. Right. It was always what I saw on the radios, what I saw on MTV. So um, it, it's almost like, uh, you know, like hip hop sometimes gets a bad rap because they totally, uh, totally people see hip hop as what they see uh, on TV. But I, I also compare that to how Gaudiya Vaishnavism was at one time where it got a bad rap because people just saw it as something as sahajiya. Yeah, but right. its its essence is very pure. And mm. that's the same thing with hip hop. So um, I immediately went uh, to Krishna. Um, just another little side story. I have this painting of Krishna, which I, um, I carry with me everywhere. Um, one of my... Uh, my my grandfather, his sister became a monk. She became a Brahma Kumari, and um, she uh, she was at the the headquarters, which is in Mount Abu in Rajasthan. It's in a mountain that's like four thousand feet high. And when I was like ten years old, I remember visiting her, and she gave me this amazing painting of Krishna um, because she knew I was a lover of. Krishna and and I still have that painting and I always it's like my murti it's my deity I I speak to that so I immediately went to that painting when I saw KRS one and I just told Krishna like I really want to meet this person I feel like this person can help me in my life in my journey you wanted to meet KRS one KRS one yeah and I don't know how but I just I put that out there and literally. A week later, a week or two later, something like that, I get this uh, message, this email, uh, talking about how KRS-One is coming to California, and he's having a private gathering, and uh, here's your free invitation. Um, there was only like maybe 20 people at the event, and somehow I, I got this notification. So I immediately went to this event, um, and it was actually at a church. Uh, KRS-One rented out an entire church, 
And I remember walking in and there was all these pews, etc. And I sat down and through the speakers was Tupac Shakur, Lauryn Hill, Nas. This was the type of music that was coming out of the church speakers. Mm-hmm. But all the lyrics were conscious. They were all talking about God. And I just remember resonating with that so much. Even when I was young, I would remember um, replacing the word girl with God to turn love songs into gospels. Um, (laughs) Music was my connection to God from a very early age. Right. And uh, when I heard these lyrics, I I was just uh, reminded of that. And, you know, even like when you hear Jay-Z, Jay-Z says lines like, I know my physical's a shell, so when I say farewell, I know my soul will find a higher plane to dwell. And to me, that's like de he no spenyata de he. It's like it's non-different. Right. Um, Tupac says, Tupac says, I feel his hand on my brain. When I write rhymes, I go blind and let the Lord do his thing. And to me, that's like that's pure bhakti right there. Um and, and also growing up, I don't know if anyone out there has seen this movie. Um, it's starring Lauren Hill. It's a movie called Sister Act 2. But it's all on God consciousness. And that was my favorite movie uh, mm-hmm. growing up. So I was just connecting all these things as I was sitting on those pews at the church and realizing, like, I'm at the right place to be. And then uh, out comes KRS-One, and he's wearing a kurta. And he um, begins to give this whole lecture on spirituality and hip hop. And he's quoting from the Rig Veda. He's quoting from the Bhagavad Gita. And I was just really impressed by this. And at the end of his lecture, he says that, uh, so I'm, I'm starting a new group. I'm starting a group called the Temple of Hip Hop. And I want to ask you who wants to join this rap group. And in my mind, I'm thinking like temple hip hop, like Mm. these are my two worlds coming together. So I immediately (laughs) like raise my hand and he's like, you. And uh, before I know it, I'm like going on tour with KRS-One. We're we're traveling throughout North America, um, going to different shows. And my role um, on the tour, it was really like das anu das anu das. I was like a very menial servant just doing right. like, like merchandise and things like that. Right. But um, I would see how he conducted himself. Mm-hmm. And it, it was really amazing. It's what we would consider outreach preaching because um, during his shows, it would probably be like 10 or 11 o'clock at night. The whole crowd is full of hip hop heads and, you know, they're intoxicated. They're um, on different substances or whatnot. Karis one comes out and he does his set. He um, raps for maybe like 30 minutes or so. And then halfway through his set, he stops all the music and then gives like a spiritual lecture mm. um, just to then teach these people. And he would always tell me like, you know, JC, I'm not a manifestation of money. I'm a manifestation of study. And he would always encourage me um, towards self-realization. 
And, you know, I also saw, personally speaking, thinking back to public school, thinking back to um, just just growing up, like the rappers, they were really my teachers in life. Mm. Um, I even have this little rap I wrote in high school. I still remember it. Go for I, it. Yeah, I'd love to hear it. I say, chilling in school, man, math class boring, teacher always reading from books, they got me snoring. I need interaction, make my mind move. All these notes I got to write down, I strongly disapprove. Getting C's on tests, they telling me I'm average. Little do they know that I'm a musical savage. I try to join band, my grades were too bad. All these prerequisites, these things got me mad. So I listened to my CDs, the rappers were my teachers. I'm ditching all the classes and I'm kicking in the bleachers. Lost from the world, lost in my thoughts, all the stress, got a blast like an astronaut to the top, always seeking better education. Don't let school take away your imagination. Um, <laughs> Whoa, very cool. <laughs> yeah. So that, wow, that's, that's how I was feeling. Yeah, that's that's how I was feeling at the time. So so you so you were um so now how like what happened after you went on tour with him? Like you, were you still in touch with him and things like that? Yeah. So I started making beats for the hip hop group and, um, you know, just connecting with all the other members who were also very spiritually minded. They were eating very clean, um, very conscious, etc. But I had to go back to um, my career being in the recording studio, working with like the, the hip hop rappers that I was working with before. Right. And I just felt that I, I can't do this anymore because um, what they're promoting is female exploitation, drugs and intoxication, material degradation. And I just felt like if this is what's going out into the airwaves, I'm contributing to that. This is yeah. part of my karma and it's lowering the consciousness of the world. And I just can't mm. do this anymore. So that was the day I actually decided to walk away from the music industry. And for the time being, um, I actually became a music therapist for autistic children. And uh, I started going into autistic kids' homes. I started playing different meditation sounds for them. And I just saw that um, I want to do higher good in this world. I want to do higher good in this life. Wow. Um, so yeah, so I was I was kind of in a lost state. I didn't know where to go, um, which direction to turn to. Um, and maybe I can now kind of speak about how I came into contact with Srila Prabhupada, Krishna Consciousness. Please, I love it. Love that story. Yeah, kind of start out with, with uh, anyways, I'll let you get to it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so people kind of heard around my neighborhood that I went on tour with KRS-One. And uh, there was um, a person who contacted me and he kept telling me that I need to get in touch with this guy named Barney. And I'm like, Barney? Like, are you talking about Barney from elementary school? Because that Barney was a straight bully. He <laughs> used to uh, give people like wedgies and uh, he would push kids to the ground. I'm like, look, I just left this whole hip hop darkness. I'm really right. trying to surround myself with positivity. I don't know if right. I want to connect with Barney, but he kept <laughs> pushing me and pushing me. So um, finally, I'm like, okay, let me let me just go see what Barney's about. Let me see what he's up to. 
I um, get to his house. I knock on his door. He opens it up and he's like, he looks different. He, um, he has like a kurta on kind of as well. And he walks me up to his studio and all the walls are basically covered with spiritual books and records. And he's lighting some incense and he's uh, cooking like a vegan meal. And I'm like, Barney, like, what happened to you, man? <laughs> like, I right. couldn't believe it. Like, such right. a transformation. Mm. And um, he he went through a very internal spiritual journey as well. So we actually became, like, really close. And we started seeing each other every single day. We would share different spiritual insights that we uh, learned about, etc. cetera. And... Um, one day he uh, he asked me if I have the Bhagavad Gita, and I say like yeah of course I got the Bhagavad Gita, um, and he's like no but it has to be as it is like it can't be any other version you have to have the as it is version. He's like do you have as it is? I'm like I don't know if I have as it is. He's like go home right now like go check like you have to find this book. So um, I didn't know what as it is or anything that uh, like that was about. So right. I get I get home. I'm like looking through the cupboards, trying to find the Bhagavad Gita, and uh, sure enough, it's it's Bhagavad Gita as it is. Um, this book I actually got on my tenth uh, birthday party. Uh, my parents they basically threw me like this huge uh, birthday party to like celebrate the ten years old or whatever. Yeah. And um, I was actually like a real like lusty kid. Um, I was I was really fat. I had these like giant glasses, um, and and I was just looking at the gifts. I was just looking at the presents. Like yeah. I can't wait to like open all these gifts up when I get home. So after the party was over, I like begged my parents like, let's open these gifts right now. And so we started going through each one. And the first one was like, oh, cool, like Batman. Like, this is what I wanted. And the second one was like Ninja Turtles. And then the third gift, I open it up or I, I just like look at it. And I'm like, what is this? Like, it doesn't even rattle. Like, what's in here? And and so I open it and it's, it's Bhagavad Gita as it is. And at the time, I was just thinking like, man, who has the nerve to give me a book for my birthday? Like, really thinking. <laughs> <laughs> but it had the picture of Krishna. Krishna's my hero. And I even remember um, as I was growing older, those the, the pictures inside the book, they were really teaching me like deep philosophy because I couldn't mm. understand it at all. But um, I just remember like seeing the changing bodies picture and it's like, oh, so this is how I'm going to grow up. And um, I remember seeing like the the picture of like the guy pigging out and then he becomes a pig. Right. Like the, the girl, she's like really lazy and sleepy and she becomes a bear. So <laughs> so through these pictures, it was really instilling a lot of this um, information. Wow. And my my parents, they also they put me in like uh, like a, a weekend guru call called mm -hmm. like Bavihar, which is kind of common. Bavihar, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I was going to Bavihar for a little bit, but even then I couldn't understand what they were trying to teach me from the Bhagavad Gita. 
but I do remember memorizing the first shloka, Distrastro Vacha, Dharmakshetra, Kurukshetra. Yes. And I also memorized Om Agyanati Mirandasha. Mm -hmm. And I would always, I would play like Tupac beats and I would rap those verses over them. And I would just like say them over and over again. Um, little did I know, like Om Agyanati Mirandasha, I'm like trying to call for my spiritual master. Mm -hmm. So now going back and seeing, um, uh, pressing forward and, and seeing this Bhagavad Gita as it is that Barney is asking for, I'm like, man, it, it, it just felt different all of a sudden. I felt like I was ready to understand what this book was about. And I didn't even want to give it to Barney anymore. I'm like, I want to hold on to this. Mm. Um, and I just remember turning over the book and for the first time, like really seeing the picture of Srila Prabhupada and him looking into my eyes and I just, I just knew right away, like, this is my teacher. I know this is my teacher. And um, I, again, went on uh, YouTube and I just started watching every single footage there was of Srila Prabhupada. Um, I started watching all of the memories videos that his disciples would speak about Prabhupada. Mm -hmm. Um, I was even watching like the Krishna cartoons. Oh, and the uh, Abhay Charan series by Bhakti Charu Maharaj. Right, right. So I just, I, I became in love with Srila Prabhupada and um, uh, just, just the teachings of Krishna consciousness. They were starting to resonate a little bit more. Uh, I still didn't have any devotee association. So um, I, I had a lot of questions though. And I would go to the back of the book and I saw like, okay, there's all these temples in North America. Let me call each one. So <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm laughing because if, 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 if you call a temple, most of the time they don't pick up or it's the wrong number or anything. But anyway, that's the sign. Yeah. And, and that was my experience too. Uh, <laughs> there was only a few out there. There was like Chicago temple, um, one of the New York temples, Berkeley temple, LA temple, they were like picking up the phone. Nice. So nice. I, I just started calling them. I started asking all these questions and like that, my devotee association started happening slowly. When you would, when you would call them, what would you say? Like, what like, would you ask? Would, yeah, I would ask them like, you know, why is chapter three karma yoga? And then why is chapter five also karma yoga? You know, <laughs> stuff like that. And people are like, whoa, this guy's like really into it. Like you probably don't yeah. get such calls before. Yeah, 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 definitely. I remember even when uh, like LA, LA Temple wasn't picking up their phone. So I would call Govinda's Buffet and I would <laughs> ask these questions. <laughs> the guy's like trying to make a samosa and answer this. That's fantastic. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So um, that, that really helped me a lot. And uh, I, as I was watching all this footage and all this, all these videos that were on YouTube um, about Krishna consciousness, I started learning a little bit more about book distribution. And I was just um, hearing and reading how this is a way to really make Srila Prabhupada smile. He would be very happy with this service. And um, I, I had some background in sales. Um, I was actually working as a, um, a cell phone uh, salesman uh, <laughs> right when the cell phone industry kind of blew up. Uh, right. This phone called the Motorola Razor. It just oh my came gosh. out. Razor, I, I like 
weird side story, but like I remember like some guy was selling it for like 300 bucks somewhere and I like drove really far to like get it. And I was like, I got to have this phone. It's like so up to date, so thin. <laughs> it's like, yeah. yeah. What it is now, it's just so, it's so funny to think about how that technology like was the best of the best at the time. But you were yeah. selling right? Yeah, and I, I kind of saw the shift happen because I was working in the cell phone industry right before the Razer where there's these bulky phones right. and the people coming to buy the phones were like businessmen and uh, of that nature. But when mm -hmm. the Razer came out for the first time, I was like selling phones to like college students and then you, soon you see like kids coming with their parents to get the phones. Wow. Um, and and I, I really enjoyed uh sales i felt that um this this idea of like I, I i was actually really successful at it um i was like one of the, the top 10 in at&t of in the in the nation for selling cell phones wow and, <laughs> and cool so, yeah and I, I felt like the reason of my success was just because i was able to be personal with the people i was dealing with i wasn't right. trying to like extract money out of them or whatnot. There was a lot of my coworkers that would kind of like cheat the people. And mm. I, I would see that as impersonalism. Um, but just this idea of personalism, it, it helped me with uh, cell phones. And eventually that also helped me with books. Yeah, um, we're gonna hear about that. Yeah, so, so then I, I just felt like, okay, I think I, I've sold cell phones before, I think I can, so books. So let Wait, me just so let's hold on. Let's hold on a second. So you weren't actively associating with devotees. You were just watching these YouTube videos and you were like kind of getting the message that book distribution is like something that you should do as a follower of Srila Prabhupada. Yeah, that's right. That's really interesting. That's yeah. really interesting. Wow. So then you went out and just started doing it. Yeah, I, I, I called LABBT. They shipped me a, a box of books to my home. And um, I started just going to the malls and I was, <laughs> I was very, I was, I was nervous. It was a little bit frightening to just like yeah. walk up to somebody and be like, Hey, here's a book. <laughs> um, I didn't, I didn't know how, how to do that. But actually the first person I did sell a book to, um, it was, it was this girl, she was working at K Jewelers. And I, I remember I was kind of in the mall, kind of scared to approach somebody but then she called me and she was like, hey, come over here. And she was trying to sell me to like buy some membership for K Jewelers. <laughs> and um, I, I ended up selling her the Bhagavad Gita. Wow. Uh, I, I kind of said like, you know, you work at K Jewelers. I want to really show you the real K Jewel. And uh, just started like, you know, started using some lines on her or whatnot. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. And that's where that's where like I got a little bit of confidence in distributing books, and mm. so I just started kind of um, doing that more and more. Um, and as I was watching these videos, etc., it was also talking about the importance of Mangalarti, and uh, just having this morning program, morning sadhana. So I was mm. just thinking, okay, well, how am I going to do this? Where can I um, attend Mangalarti? And um, I, I had a very unique situation because there was a temple um, near my house, maybe 10 or 15 minutes away. And it's actually, it's a half ISKCON temple, 
half Hindu temple. So it, it used to be Iskan, but then it became a Hindu temple. But mm. when you go there, they still have Srila Prabhupada's Murti. They have Gornatai. They have the Radha Krishna deities. They, uh, of course, have all the demigods as well. But Radha Krishna is the main center. And also the Pujaris are still uh, um, Iskan Pujaris that work there. They're uh, uh, disciples of Bhakti Swarup Damodar Goswami. Mm. So... Um, I just, I just, uh, I didn't even call. I just started going there. Uh, their Mangal Arti started at 5 a.m. And I started showing up every single morning. And there was just two uh, priests, monk pujaris that were there. And uh, I, I came every single day. And after a while, they're just like, man, who's this, who's this kid who's coming at 5 a.m.? It's just us two and him. Right, right. And so uh, they, started, they started taking me under their shelter. They started teaching me how to chant properly. They were teaching me how to sing the songs properly, um, how to do the Tulsi Puja, etc. Right. And um, these these individuals became my best friends. And I felt that this devotee association is so sweet. This is so magical. Mm. Um, and uh, then I started learning about other temples. Like there was another one near my house uh, in Laguna Beach. And uh, I, I went there for the first time and I was really blown away because it was the first time I saw Western bodies at, a, at like a, a temple. Usually like I was never the religious type. I was more about spirituality. So yeah. when I heard about things from a childhood about Bhagavad Gita, et cetera, mm. I always connected it to like religion. Yeah. Um, and so even like at a Hindu temple, I wasn't able to plug in because it was right. just all like uh, Indians. Right. But going to this Laguna Beach temple for the first time, I saw Western bodies. And uh, we know Tukaram Prabhu, you know, just giving like some hard hitting classes. Awesome. I want to have him on the show. I, I'm yeah. in yeah, awesome. no. yeah, He's great. Yeah. Um, and then even just the music, the music was like so sweet. Um, I remember just falling in love with the Nursinga prayers and like every, every Sunday I was like walking away with like a bunch of tears in my eyes. Like it was just so magical. I remember after the Laguna beach program, I'd like run to the ocean, uh, cause the temple's right by the ocean and just yeah. feeling like, oh man, this is, life is so good. Just like comparing how I am now to where I was prior, right. um, I really felt Krishna's guidance and um, you feel, you felt like you were home essentially. Yeah. I felt home. like I was home yeah. back home. Um, and then what happened was uh, I went again to the Mongol Arti as usual at this rather uh, at this uh, Hindu temple. It's called the Radha Raman temple. Right. And um, I, when I walked in that day, the Pujaris kind of cornered me. And they said, like, hey, look, um, we we actually don't want you to come here anymore. And uh, I was like, what? Like, what are you talking about? Like, I thought we're, thought we're homies. Like, we're best friends. Like, why I, did I commit wow. some offense? Like, please forgive me. And it was actually a good thing. They were like, no, no, we, we've been observing you, and we feel like you're ready for the next level. So we want you to go to the L.A. temple to become a brahmachari where there's people your own age 
and you can have that association. Wow. So that's how I eventually ended up in the uh, Iskand Nudwarka temple. That reminds me of like uh, the journey home, His Holiness Radna Swami's a story of how, I think, I don't know who it was, but it was one, one of those yogis that he met and that person was like, okay, stop coming to see me. Now you should go see Srila Prabhupada. You know, that re- what you just told me reminds me of that story. Yeah, yeah, that, it was really that amazing. Been interesting. I mean, like, like what, why, what did I do? You know, like, but they right. were directing you like, no, this is your next step. Your next step yeah. is to be a brahmachari in this really legendary temple with these amazing legendary devotees. Yeah, when I first arrived at the LA temple, um, I was starstruck. And I think starstruck is the right word because all of these individuals that I saw in those profile memory videos are now, I'm seeing them face to face. Madhuvisa Prabhu, Judah Karma Prabhu, Savas Prabhu, Sura Prabhu, Amalabhakta Swami. Yeah. And it was, it was really like seeing celebrities. Oh my was, God. Totally, totally like that. I just want to interrupt you for yeah. a second. When I first went to LA in 2015. I, I went to Mangalarti and I, I was sitting in the class and and um, <clears throat> this Prabhu uh, like had a question and he started speaking and it was Amal Bhakta Swami Maharaj and, I, and his voice, I heard his voice and I was like, oh my God, this is him. I've been growing up listening to those Krishna tape, the, the, you know, his, his dictation of, of uh, recitation of the Krishna book and his voice was exactly the same. And it just brought back all these memories into my head. And I was like, I totally didn't know who this person was. And then I, I like, look, I, I turned over to the person next to me. I was like, who is that Prabhu? And they're like, that's Amala Bhak. I was like, oh my God, that's him. That's amazing. <laughs> like I, I, it, his voice is like ingrained in my brain, you know, from listening to it. So, um, yeah. I could totally relate with what you're saying about like them being celebrities, you know, and, mm. and seeing them and you saw them on YouTube and you were, uh, you were like, Oh my God, this is, this is it. This is where everyone is. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really mind blowing. And also just the, the uh, culture of new Dwarka, um, you know, like devotees, uh, they tell me that senior devotees they tell me that they like to come back to new dwarka because they feel like they're entering back into the 70s mm. that that <laughs> mood is still so strong there this strong emphasis of sankirtan and you know that's really to savas prabhu's credit who's been the temple president there for 30 years now um is the trustee of the north american bbt so his heart is made out of sankirtan Mm. And these were now my my heroes. Um, so right away, I began plugging into the um, LA community, Mangalarti, very rigid, you know, cold showers, sleeping on floors, waking up 2, 3 a.m. But uh, I, I really loved the discipline. It was, it was something so special. Um, and uh, while I was there, I kept hearing about this personality named Brigupati, Brigupati Prabhu. People just kept speaking his name. Um, at the time, he was uh, traveling. He was on traveling Sankirtan, so he wasn't there when I arrived. Um, but I came to find out that he is the number one book distributor in North America and that he's been distributing books for 45 years. And... Um, when I would tell the other devotees, like, yeah, I, I tried going to the malls to distribute books. They tell me, like, when Brigupati gets back, you have to get in touch with him. 
So I was just waiting and waiting until Brigupati came back and he finally arrived back. Um, and I still remember the date. It was Christmas Eve, uh, 2013. And um, he, he kind of has like a line of people that want to be his Sankirtan partner. Um, but it so happened that everyone in his line was missing that day because it was Christmas Eve. All those people went to go see uh, their parents and things like that. Right. So I approached Brigupati Prabhu and I asked him, Prabhu, like I've heard so much about you. I was just wondering if I can ride with you and go on Sankirtan with you today. And he's like, yeah, you know, everyone's missing today. Like, come on, I got an empty seat. Wow. And um, from that day, I, I never left his passenger seat for the next six years. Um, you, became, and, you became the the guy. Yeah, I became his partner. Wow. Um, and so uh, everything that I know, everything that I've learned in regards to Krishna consciousness and Sankirtan, I really credit him a lot because he has this ability to see Krishna everywhere. Like, you know, like normal experiences, like someone who is taking out the trash or something like that, he'll connect that to like a Krishna conscious metaphor. So wow. he was training me to give that vision as well, to see Krishna everywhere. And also just the uh, techniques and the abilities to approach people on Sankirtan. And we started traveling everywhere. We would uh, live in vans for some time. We were going to different college festivals, music festivals. Um, everything. He was like just basically showering everything he knew on me. And uh, this, this experience of Sankirtan was so magical because you get a real chance to experience Krishna every single day. And I really feel like we would probably have to do a separate podcast just to talk about all the stories yeah. um, when it's in connection to uh, Sankirtan and Krishna consciousness. But if I can just share maybe one or two. Go for um, it, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, w one of the first things I really realized was that when I would go to these like rich neighborhoods like Beverly Hills and things like that, Nobody would be really taking books, but when we would go to like the ghettos, when we would go to South Central and very heavy black Latino communities, um, underprivileged uh, societies, these people would run to get the books. And I would remember um, just being there, meeting so many sincere people. And there was even this time when like a police officer came and he was trying to shut us down. And these people started fighting with the police officer saying, no, don't stop him. He needs to be here. What he's giving us is water. Please don't stop him. We need these books. Wow. And, um, you know, just like heart touching moments like that. Mm. Um, and also just like experiencing true miracles, I would say. Um, I remember uh, flying out to Baltimore uh, for this uh, library con uh, conference with um, Sura Prabhu. 
I don't know if you know Sura Prabhu. Oh yeah, he, I know Sura Prabhu. He when he when he was when he would come to New York when I was living in the ashram in New York, he would um come with the Temple Bhajan band and I would play Murdanga for him. And mm. uh, my name was Amul at the time, and he called me the A Train because I would like be able to play really fast for him. And he he would always call like the Brahmachari, the head of the Brahmacharis there, and be like. I need a train, you know, I got a concert coming up, you know, in a few weeks and I need him here and stuff. And, and he's so sweet. And, and, uh, I recently connected, not recently, I mean, connected with him when I went in 2015 and he was happy to see me that I was, you know, I was married and I was settled and things like that. I, I really appreciate Sura Prabhu very much. Yeah. He also has like this whole gangster side to him. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, people call him like the Al Capone of Krishna consciousness. <laughs> Oh yeah, because he's like the BBT. Like you gotta call him if you want books, right? Yeah, yeah. Actually, like the whole New Dwarka community, I felt like I was in a mafia. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you got like Savas so and Naikatma. They're like the two like Italian brothers, right. and then you got um, you got Sura, who's like Al Capone. You got Brigupati, who's like a hitman, and then you got a uh, Amala Bhaktaswami, who's like that grandfather gangster who's just like watching over everyone uh, um but i i remember traveling with sura prabhu to this baltimore oh, library conference and we were very excited we were um there to try to get shula Prabhupada's books into the libraries so universities can use them mm -hmm. i i was learning so much about bhakti tirta swami at the time and uh just his mission of trying to get shula Prabhupada's books in the libraries I was like, wow, this is going to be great. We're going to have this opportunity. And um, we get to the conference, you know, we set up a whole BBT booth. Um, and and mind you, like, it, it's probably like a couple thousand dollars just to have a booth there at this place. And um, nobody was taking a book. Like, uh, I would try to, like, stop people. I would try to, like, call them over. They'd come and they'd walk away. And I was just getting like really frustrated because I'm 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 thinking like kind of like a businessman as well. Like, man, we spent thousands of dollars to be here. No one's taking books. Um, and I just remember saying, man, screw this place. And I, I like walked outside with my Joppa beads um, and I just started like chanting. And then all of a sudden I hear like a, a hurry bowl. And I, I turn around and it's actually this really young guy who just became a, a professor at a university. And he's like, you're at this conference too? And I said, yeah, I'm at this conference. And he's <laughs> like, I want to check out your booth. And so we, we go to the BBT booth and he's like, you know what? Like, sign me up. Like, I want to get Bhagavatam sets into the university I'm working for. And he like, he takes like 40 books or something like that. Wow. And then all of a sudden, like all these miracles started happening to the point where this really like short uh, library lady came up. I mean, this whole conference was full of these like short library ladies. It was a <laughs> library conference. You're librarians, huh? Yeah. yeah all librarians. Um, <laughs> this short librarian comes up and she's like looking at the books and whatnot. And I'm like trying to like talk to her and whatnot. And um, I look a little closer at her like necklace and it's a, it's, it's Krishna with the flute. And I'm like, you have Krishna with the flute on your necklace. And she's like, yeah. Have you heard of Krishna? 
And I'm like, I know a little bit. <laughs> and uh, she's like, yeah, Krishna is the best thing that's happened in my life. And I'm like, have you heard of the International Society for Krishna Consciousness or ISKCON or anything? She's like, no, what's that? And I'm wow. like, you know, all these books are actually about Krishna. And she's like, really? And she gets like two sets of Bhagavatams um, to wow. put into universities. Yeah, so... Amazing. These are just a taste of like some of the experiences. Yeah, millions of stories like like that. When you go on yeah. a book distribution, you you get this kind of like you get this like mystical. You get these mystical experiences. You know, like I didn't do book distribution book distribution for that long, but I still had such experiences, and and I still remember them to this day. Like, uh, you know, amazing. So then, so you were so you started doing. You were living in the LA Temple. You were doing book distribution like full time. Yeah, yeah, full-time book distribution, and we were distributing a lot of books. And um, I, I would say, like, one of the jewels to my life is my notebooks because that's where I would write down, like, all these stories of... Uh, wrote them of, down. Yeah, I wrote down. I even have one of the notebooks. This is from, like, 2015. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I remember one time, like... Going those, are, to, those are jewels, man. They're jewels. I, I remember going to Mayapur during like the whole um, celebration, Gorpurnim, and they would announce in the mornings, like, uh, you know, please look after your um, your uh, purses and whatnot, because there's a lot of pickpocketers. You know, they'd make these announcements every morning. And when I opened up my the the stash that I had, I'm like, Oh, you know, I don't have any money. It's okay. It's just these notebooks. But then I thought, wait a minute, these notebooks are like way more valuable than yeah. any money. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, th those, those notebooks, I, I truly treasure them. Wow. Um, and, and yeah, we were distributing um, a lot of books, uh, just Brigupati's method and style. Um, <laughs> I was really kind of, um, taking in and um there's there's like two styles to book distribution as well i i call right. it i want to say something that that um i'm seeing a lot of comments here saying that we know we've seen your youtube videos of how you um you know introduced this new style uh because the original style like you said was okay someone's there and you approach them yeah right that's the original style. So I know that you created basically a new way of distributing books. Now there's a there's an, another style which is tables and signage and stuff. So go ahead and tell us a little bit bit about about that. Yeah. So uh, I I basically basically call it machine gun and the tank. So the machine gun is when you're on foot with the backpack, you're like going up to people, but right. the tank is when you're like situated. And oh, sending out bullets, um, <laughs> and 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 table is nothing new. Like people have been doing tables for a very long time, but the tables that I was seeing, they weren't so decorative. They weren't so attractive, and a lot of people just didn't know like what you had to offer. Mm. So we started putting up these very attractive signs and very attractive tables. We would get like sari cloths. And I'd even put like all these little toy elephants and things like that on the table just to kind of like break the ice. Right. And we'd set up the books very nicely, etc. 
And before you know it, like we weren't approaching people anymore, but they were approaching us. And it totally changes the whole psychology of book distribution. Mm. And Rikupati Prabhu told me like in my 45 years, I've never seen anything like this because the, the exchanges that I was having with people were so sweet. It was like, it was deep in Rasa. Um, and the example I often give is that, you know, when you go to um, like a devotee's home and they're serving you prasadam mm. and you eat the prasadam and then they say, do you want more? And out of kindness, you say no, even though you want some. And so you're like, you're like, no, I'm okay. No, and they're like, okay. They're like, take, take. And they're like, no, it's like, okay, if you insist, then like, right, it's this right. whole sweet exchange. Yes, yes. So, so this is what I was having on book distribution. I would, I would give some books to people. They would seem very sincere. They'd give me a donation, a very nice donation. I'm like, you know what? have have another book like take this as well i really want wow. you to have this and they'd wow. be like no no like you don't have to and i'm like no this is on me and then they would give me more money and i would actually say no you don't have to give me more like this is a gift and <laughs> this this exchange was being created it was it was really That's wonderful awesome yeah, and, and we were in that way able to cultivate a lot of people because now we were exchanging phone numbers. We built this friendship. And when I started giving seminars on book distribution, this was my main point that, or my main philosophy was that we need to have friendship before philosophy. We need to learn their names. We need to know what they're about. We need to build this type of um, communication before we even explain anything about the books. And it really goes a long way. Um, That's, this is super inspiring to me because I said in, in Vaisheshi Kaprabhu's podcast, when he came on, I said, I was like, I'm scarred by book distribution. Let's just be, I'm just being honest here. I was, I went on in a few marathons and it was extremely austere and I was doing it what you say, the machine gun way. Like you just go and approach people cold. You're just yeah. approaching people and you're getting rejected left and right. And it was dark. It was cold. It was like sometimes really hot because it's like the subway and things like that. And, but what you're telling me, and you were like the top book distributor for three years in America, right? 2000, what was it? Uh, 15 to 17 top book distributor. And you were doing it, this book table way. And you were just like, the books were just flying out. That's just phenomenal. And I think, I mean, someone's asking, where can we watch more content? What's your, what's your YouTube page where you have all this up? Yeah, it's called West coast monk, West coast monk. Okay. Go, take a look at it. West coast monk. But, but so you were just basically now, now, even Brigupati Prabhu, who is distributing books for so many years, 45 years, he's never seen anything like this. Yeah, I've never seen anything like it. And then connecting with these people. That's fantastic. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I'm inspired by that. Now, yeah. now where, is, it, is, it, is it about location as well? Like where you set up the table? Um, yeah, well, I think college universities work well. But, you know, we were setting up tables everywhere. We would set up tables at... Um, uh, like tourist spots, outside grocery stores. Um, one of the techniques that really works well, um, and it needs a little bit of training, but it's it's very effective. 
we would have signs that said free meditation books. And what would happen is we would have a bunch of free books on the table for people to come and take. But then we would set aside these sets with ribbons on them. So people would come up and get their free book. And then we would say, if you're interested in learning more, we also have these sets that talk about higher consciousness. We have a, a vegetarian cooking book. We have books on happiness, etc. And if you like, you can take a set with you as well. And a lot of people were taking sets. So in, in one shot, they would take like eight, 10, 12 books. So you would, so basically you would give away free books, but then at the, but, but when you get them, you you entice them to actually, you know, take more books. That that's genius. I love that. We got a question here. Uh, do you need to get permission to set up the table? It, it depends where, um, a lot of universities have free speech areas. So there you just set up, um, it's, it's totally allowed, but, right. um, yeah, there's, there's certain, uh, places where you do need permission. And I really advise to go through the legal route as much as possible. Right. One of the other main advantages of the table that we saw was we immediately became bona fide when you're in the machine gun way you're always like looking out for security guards. You're looking for police. This, right. this feeling like someone's over the shoulder, right. but um, this, this feeling of authority and feeling like, Hey, we're meant to be here. Come check out our store. It, mm -hmm. it really felt like we're setting up a store. Um, and and you, so you yourself feel good about it. like someone who's a, like a novice book distributor, they they're going to be extra sensitive about doing it the machine gun way because it's like already a very daunting task. But if you're like on a table and you're sitting and you got a sign and everything, you're like, this is just the table with, and I'm just selling something, you know? So it makes the person who's distribu distributing books also feel comfortable. That's yeah. Uh, I love and, that. And, and you know, a lot of my book distribution sales came from referrals. So I would treat the person so nice that then they would go tell their friends and then they would come back and their friends would get books. Right. So if you're, if you're on the machine gun way, you, you can't really do that because you're on the move and it still seems a little improper. But when you have right. a table, like, it's like, Hey, check this person out. Um, yeah. that and you know, next to that, you know, next to that Starbucks, he's sitting there with books, you know, go check them out. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And you know, I, I kind of, you, you kind of feel like, especially when going to universities, yeah. um, you kind of become like the cool kid on campus. Like I remember like returning to the university and you meet so many people that everyone knows your name. They'll be like, Hey, what's up Jai? Good to see you Jai. Like, thanks for that book yesterday, Jai. Like you setting up again. And like, they would come during lunch. We'd like hang out. Like I made so many friends like that. Um, just having a table, having a spot. So I think, yeah. I think it's also worth mentioning that it's not about just setting up a table. It's the way you treat the people. Yeah. You're a very sweet, kind person and you come across like that to someone, right? So, so they're going to pick up on that. It's not just anyone can go and just act like anyone or, or, or don't have that kind of mentality and just try and then be successful at it. I think you personally uh, were successful in it because of your personality. What would you, would you say that's right? 
Well, yeah, it, it goes back to my training in cell phone sales where I was talking about the personalism. And right. it was because of that personalism that I was um, able to sell so many phones. In the same way, having that type of personalism, that vulnerability, um, really showing that you're not there to take their money. You're not there to try to even sell them anything. And actually, my style of book distribution, I don't know if if you see some of these videos, I'm, I don't even like crack a smile. Like I'm, I'm like, uh, I'm very straightforward to them. I'm like, you know, uh, you don't really want these books. Like, like that was my style, like a reverse psychology almost. And, you know, it's just saying these things like silly lines, like, um, Hey man, like those are some, uh, cool shoes that you have. And then I'll be like, you know, where did you get them? Like, are they yours or something like that? You know, or like, that that's a cool beard that you have where did you buy it you know like <laughs> stuff like that Make so think a little yeah. kind of real men right you you got to keep it light you got to keep it humorous you're just out there to have a good time have fun whether yeah. you sell one book or a million books it doesn't matter the most important thing is this consciousness of personalism and mm-hmm. giving off this good impression that we're just there to do good for the planet um and i think that speaks and because of your, you know, success, you got some awards, right? Yeah, yeah, I got some awards. Uh, um, it was, uh, you know, they have like these yearly Mayapur um, book distribution awards. So right. that that was very inspiring for me because I remember um, the first year, it was, I believe, 2015, um, winning the North American Award. Um, right after I won the award, there was like all these brahmacharis that came up to me and they're wanting to know like the tips and secrets and things like that. Mm. Um, and it, it just got me in the mood of not just distributing books, but sharing this message of how to distribute books. And even Brigupari Prabhu, he was the one who recommended for me to like create this YouTube channel to try to share with as many people as possible some of these techniques. Right, right. Um, and you know, book distribution is also very competitive. Like I'm a very competitive person. Extremely so, competitive. Yeah, so I remember like the first year I won the award, um, these brahmacharis called me and they were like, hey, you know, uh, you know, like that was just like, you just got lucky. Like this year you're going down. You know that, right? <laughs> it said that? They said that. Oh so I'm, my like, God. I'm like, I'm like, it's like that. Like, are, are you serious? Okay. Let, let's see what's up. And then oh like, that sparked my fire for the next year, you know? <laughs> and you did it the next two years, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I was just having a lot of good luck and I had good people around me. Um, yeah. And started taking young bhaktas as well and just trying to pass the baton as much as possible. And sure. because of these videos, um, I, I was getting letters from temples um, all around the world uh, saying they're implementing these strategies now and they're distributing so many books. And even Prabhupada disciples who were um, so afraid to distribute books yeah. and have been traumatized before, Mm-hmm. They're watching the videos and now implementing the strategies. Um, so I, I just thank, you know, Brigupati Prabhu again, and he's my Sankirtan leader and Parampara teacher. And um, it's through him that all this is coming. 
Wow. So then what happened after what happened after that? Like it, it, then I, I I think that it became more like your recent times now, right? Yeah. Um so uh you know, I I was battling with something deep down inside and that was this uh, fear of public speaking. I was actually very traumatized in school um from speaking in public. I remember going up to give like some type of speech and I, I would like shake so much I couldn't finish it. I'd run outside. It was it was something that I really wanted to do, but I didn't know how to do. And I would just see, you know, um, you know, in New Dwarka, you're kind of like an audience because there's so many Prabhupada disciples yeah. that you don't really partake in the actual doing of things. Um, but I knew that one day I would have to do something like this, sit on the Vyasa Sun, give a talk, something like that. And um, this just became an, uh, an increasing desire that I want to learn public speaking. So um, I, I remember the first time I was asked to give a Bhagavad Gita class and sitting on that Vyasa Sun, and I was a little bit afraid. But as soon as I began speaking, it was like clear diction was coming out. Hmm. And I think it's because now I'm actually speaking about something that I truly care about, that I'm very passionate about. Mm. Before in school, like I'm just I'm just doing it because I have to do it. But now I feel very strongly about this. And so that increased my love for public speaking. And I get began speaking at yoga studios and different universities. And that eventually led me to become an interfaith uh, chaplain at USC where we started creating these meditation clubs. Wow. Um, and these meditation clubs were extremely successful right from the get-go. Cause we, first off, we had an incredible team and uh, every week we would meet like three, four times a week in different places. We were building communities. We were fostering care. We were seeing people transform from not knowing anything about Krishna to chanting eight to 16 rounds now. And right. that became a that became a, a greater source of inspiration for me um, to just be able to create this this league of devotees. Um, so we became also very successful with the college clubs, and that eventually led me to speak at the uh, international leadership sangha in uh, 2018 in Mayapur, ILS. Right. And actually, I was I was only meant to speak there one day, but um, when I got there, I found out they booked me for all five days. Wow. So when I spoke the first day, I was kind of nervous, and then the second day, I'm like, okay, I got this. The third day, I'm like, man, I love this. And by the fourth and fifth day, I felt like I want to do this for the rest of my life. Just be wow. able to. Uh, yeah, just to give. What was these- it about? What was it about it that 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 like fulfilled you or attracted you? Yeah, well, my topic was about attracting the millennial generation to Krishna consciousness, right? And um, seeing the type of audience that was coming, like I had sannyasis and swamis coming to attend the lectures, and uh, I just uh, I felt like. I felt like it's this mixture of new school and old school, which is so much needed um, to come together to really expand this mission. 
And I think just this over and um, this overarching sense that I'm here to try to help spread this mission. And I know Sheila Propod is smiling. Um, I think that kind of propelled me to go further. Right. What What is like the premise, like in short, what was the premise of like attracting the millennial generation to Krishna consciousness? I, I bet I'm in, I'm like genuinely curious about what you what you spoke about for like five days. You know, that's like really interesting a topic. Yeah. So I was talking about um, these two types of mindsets that are out there. Um, and it's a very famous um, understanding in like psychology, psychological circles. They, they call it a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. And a fixed mindset is when you're pretty much fixed. You're like, you put a lock on something and you do stuff just because that's how it was done in the past. And you continue to go that way. But the growth mindset is you understand time, place, circumstances, and you're willing to change and adapt. So that was my opener. And then I went into some of the statistics at the school USC. I think you'll also be very surprised to know that USC, there's 40,000 college students and 10,000 of them are diagnosed with some type of mental depression or they complain about some type of mental uh, attention. So kids are like really struggling. And we personally saw that. Like we, we've had kids come to our clubs who were suicidal even and they've opened up about that um and so um at this yeah at this uh event the basic premise was just again personalism and rather than giving people philosophy give them your friendship try to build this community as much as possible and this is what's really going to inspire people at the end of the day wow brilliant yeah nice so that so then you became the like a chaplain at usc and then you did that meditation clubs and things like that. And then what that, what did the, in, what did it evolve into? Yeah. So something interesting happened. Um, as I was doing those clubs, um, I, I noticed something within myself. Uh, I, I had to give a Bhagavad Gita class, um, like a, a week later from the club or whatnot. And, uh, I sat down on the Vyasa sun and nobody showed up um, except for these kids. There was maybe like 10 or 15 kids. And there were ages like 2 and 3 to 12, 13. And they came with like their parents. And so I was really surprised because I've never given a, a class to children before. Right. Right. And I realized that, you know, it's cool. It's cool like teaching the outside public about higher topics and spirituality and it's even more nourishing when you're teaching devotees and you're explaining your realizations Mm. but teaching children for me it took it to a whole nother level and i felt like this was my calling because because i've had such a uh, traumatic childhood and experiencing the western public school systems and what that was like, I just felt like I could really relate to these kids and to be able to share with them um, became my life mission. And uh, I was I was very convinced at the time of Krishna consciousness, I took initiation from uh, His Holiness Radhanath Swami 
And he always encouraged me to help the youth. So I just took it then to the ultimate level, which I believe is the children who are the, the futures of this world. And if we plant seeds in them, then they can grow up and become change makers that we need in this society. Um, what do you think, what do you think um, we could do in our movement to help the youth or the children? I've been, I've been watching a lot of um, Krishna conscious parenting seminars. Really? Recently. Yeah. Oh, wow. And, and just trying to just see what it is that they're implementing to help these kids. Um, and I believe that uh, what we're doing is, is totally, you know, right on track um, as it is now, but there are some things like if I was a GVC, if you asked me to be a GVC, there are some things I would implement right off the bat. Um, one of them is that I believe that every single temple needs a recording studio because there's, really? so, there's so many talented Krishna conscious kids um, that just need to be engaged in service that they would be inspired by. Right. And to, to have a recording studio, it's not like back in the 90s where you need hundreds and thousands of dollars. It can be very minimally done. And to teach children how to produce, how to mix, how to record, how to edit, our whole mission is about broadcasting. Yeah. So if we have these recording studios and we encourage children to sing and to be able to create these creative performances, I feel that can do wonders for them. That's really brilliant. I mean, it's true. We are, a, you know, and now everything is moving to internet and 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 uh, communi communicating that way. So for a temple to have a recording studio, I mean, on, on a budget, you could get something for less than $500 and engage the children to do like record kirtans and think that's brilliant. You know, that's, and that's, uh, that's super engaging to children, I would say. Yeah, That's a good idea. Jai Jitanya for GBC, man. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally down. Um, and and then I feel also another thing that we can do. Um, I feel that every temple should have a podcast because every temple has devotees in the community who have amazing stories that they have yet to share, and if each temple had its own podcast where these, you call on these devotees and they um, speak uh, and share, then I believe not only will that inspire the other devotees in the community, but it even inspires the outside public. They see how connected we are. They hear about these stories. And I, I truly feel this would be the future of our movement. Wow. Yeah, I mean, um, like, this podcast, like a lot of people get to know people, like my whole goal is that people get to know these devotees. They know who this person is. Like I knew who you were, but like to sit down and talk with you about your story, it's like a whole another level of getting to know someone. Like your whole story, like in, in detail, that's like a very inspiring thing. And while you were talking, I was just thinking this podcast, like whenever I do it, it's inspiring my own Krishna consciousness. Like I mm. feel super inspired to like be a better devotee or to mm. 
be more kind and more spiritual and more, uh, you know, go out on book distribution, get a book table and start doing it. You know, just to hear your story made me feel like that. So this is like what you're talking about, I think, like just getting to know devotees in your community and getting every temple to perhaps do a podcast and, you know, broadcast all, you know, widely about, you know, Brahat Murdanga, this, this kind of broadcasting it throughout the world, I guess. Right. And, and you know, what you're doing is like at the heart of reciprocation, because to do a podcast, you know, it's like a back and forth reciprocation. Right. And it, it's the, it's two pillars of the six loving exchanges to inquire and to reveal. So yes, I, I believe that what we're doing is at the heart of this Krishna conscious movement. I love, I love that you were interested in, in, in working with the children. What else do you have like in store for, for like going in that direction? Yeah. So um, I would love to introduce you to somebody. Uh, I've been working on this project for several years now We've been going to different elementary schools. We've been sitting with kids. We've been going to kids' hospitals, um, wherever we can, even foster homes, etc. And we're just trying to see how can we bring these higher conscious techniques to children in a very universal way that they can understand. So um, I kind of have someone here with me. And uh, okay. if you would like to meet him real quick. Yes, yeah, please. Yeah. So this is Good Luck Yogi. Uh, this is a prototype that we've created. It's a uh, meditation superhero friend for children that teaches kids about important values like gratitude, uh, patience, and also gives different meditation techniques. Um, and eventually we want to create like mantras and things like that as well, um, just to be there for, for children because I feel that um, I feel that we all remember the toys that we grew up with. It's totally. something that runs so deep in all of us. Yes. And if you go to a boy's section of a toy store, all you see is like guns, violence, things being blown up. Right. But if we can bring toys like this into children's I'm, lives, I'm I'm you. I've just put you full screen so we can see better. Okay. Yeah. So this is good luck, Yogi. And um, we also created a, uh, a children's book to go along with it. Mm. So maybe I can just share with you some of the uh, stories. Before you, before you go ahead, tell us a little bit about like the, the practical part of that. So th that's like a, it's a toy that sits like in a children's room or what is it? What is that? Yeah. So it's a, it's a toy that sits in a children's room uh, or wherever. And he really represents kind of like a, a superhero for kids. Okay. And it has different meditation sounds. So here, I can even play one for you. Sure. Hi, I'm Good Luck Yogi. When we meditate, we feel great. Deep breathing helps release stress, boost our energy, and focus our attention. Let's breathe together for peace, love, and harmony. you yeah. how to breathe and to and doing all that yeah yeah breathe meditate um we we've been seeing that children actually are very natural when it comes to meditation right um 
and they just need a little bit of a, a push or a drive to be inspired to do so. Right. So that that's the experience we're having uh, with kids. Tell us, yeah, tell us a little bit about um, where you are in before you get to the book. Tell us a little bit about where you are in like production and all that stuff. Like, I know you have a Kickstarter for for Good Luck Yogi. Yeah, we we had a Kickstarter. We completed it last year, um, and we were able to raise quite a bit of uh, pre-orders. Um, currently, we're just uh, speaking to different investors to try to go into manufacturing and production. But hopefully, by the end of this year, um, we'll have Good Luck Yogis in, available online and hopefully in stores. Right, and uh, I know that you uh, you were like working with PBS. You like were going to go on Shark Tank, uh, and this is like listen to my listeners. This is not a small thing. Like this is huge. Like people want to invest into this uh, into this toy. Uh, I, I really don't want to call it a toy because it seems like so much more than a toy. But people want to uh, are in, inspired by it, and they want to have it in their homes, and people want to invest in it. And so um, I know you have a partner that you work with who's also working with you on this project, uh, and that's totally amazing. Is there a website for for this? Yeah, the website is goodluckyogi.com. Okay, goodluckyogi.com. That's amazing. Yeah, tell us tell us about about, about this book now. Yeah, so I'll just introduce you real quickly um, to the character and just what he represents. Uh, you'll see a lot of elements of Krishna Leela in here. Okay. Uh, so this is Good Luck Yogi. His friends call him Gly. And uh, he's not coming from outer space, but he comes from inner space, from uh, a very special place deep down inside. And <laughs> Uh, what he does currently earth is covered with like these negative uh, dust clouds so mm -hmm. good luck yogi is looking to bring the elements of peace love and harmony to try to uh, remove the negative dust clouds so you know real life situations like uh, a kid who feels like he doesn't fit in he can't play with the other kids at lunch and recess um, and things like that Good Luck Yogi is here to kind of inspire his life and just teach him about the tools of going more within and feeling grateful and understanding you're special, you're unique. There's no one on this planet that's built like you and you have something special to offer that no one else can. Right. So we're just trying to inspire a lot of confidence in children. And another big situation going on these days is that kids are just addicted to these tablets, um, technology, TV. And, you know, we can't say no to these things. Of course, we need them. But we also want to inspire children to just go out and be in nature more and to breathe the fresh air and to just connect to that essence again. So this is another pillar that we're trying to teach. And we just don't want to teach kids, but we also want to teach adults because, the way that they interact at the dinner tables, the way that they talk to each other, it plays a huge impact into a child's life. So right. we want the uh, parents to become very mindful as well, just so we can create more peaceful families in this world. And um, this is my favorite picture because it doesn't matter what external shell you have, what type of outside covering you have, we're all specially connected inside. And like that, we can create a harmonious world together. So wow. these are the type of lessons we're looking to implement with this character, Good Luck Yogi. 
Amazing. Wow. I really love that. And so you're basically creating this, this lie, this person, this entity that you're creating them into, into like this, um, like the, uh, like, uh, something that kids can relate to like the way they can relate to like Pokemon or like Mickey mouse or something, but you're creating, you're doing it in a way that, that also expresses these higher conscious principles. Yeah, exactly. That's right. And That's and I, I'm taking more and more inspiration from Bhagavatam and just some of our lessons and trying to implement them as much as possible into this character. That is super cool. I am so excited for you. Uh, and, uh, you know, and it's already very successful. And I and I am just uh, blown away by by your concern and your like creativity essentially your creativity in trying to reach children. Um, that's so cool. And what, like, I know you're also doing hip hop again. Yeah. So um, I've, I've kind of gone back into the hip hop world now, especially for during uh, COVID. I think I made like a hundred beats last year. Really? Um, yeah. And um, I guess the confidence of public speaking is now giving me the confidence to be behind the microphone and to actually rap, but now on higher conscious subject matters. And I'm not saying like it's completely like goody goody because in hip hop that's considered kind of corny, but <laughs> but like you know mixing mixing swag with higher consciousness. And uh, hopefully I can release some of that music later this year and would love to share with everybody. Oh, love it. Oh my God. That is super cool. Wow. Getting back into the hip hop world. That's, that's amazing. I mean, it's, 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 you're, you're working on so many different things and I, and I, and I really appreciate that. Like what, what I would say, like, what is your relationship now with, with book distribution? Are you still doing it? Or you're kind of moving on? Like what, what, what's where you are, where are you with that? Yeah, I'm happy to, um, whenever a temple asks me to give a seminar, or do some type of teaching, I, I jump at the opportunity because I know that's connected to Srila Prabhupada's smile and that's all I live for. So mm -hmm. I'm very much um, still in the thick of Sankirtan. Um, and then as far as distributing books myself, it's, it's just a little tough, of course, during COVID, but that's something that's always in me. I love being behind the table and just meeting people and it's, yeah, it's part of my essence. So super cool. Sure. Wow. So, so for, for all our listeners, what will you say in conclusion that are your listeners, like what, what's something that can take away with them? I would just say that, um, we, we definitely need more creativity in, in schools. Um, not, not just in schools, but just in general, um, similar, like similar to how a school was just putting everyone in one box and how that doesn't work. I yeah. think in the same way, um, with our own spiritual movements, we can expand and bring more creativity to engage all people in all types of services, which they can really flourish in. So tools right. like podcasting, recording studios, art, etc. Let's just try to flood that more. And I, I really feel that is what inspires and attracts the millennial generation. Fantastic. Wow. Well, JJ, Tanya, it was super awesome and fantastic and interesting to hear your story and to hear your projects. I'm like very inspired 
uh, you know, like to just do it all kinds of different things myself. But if someone wants to get in touch with you, you're best on email. Yeah, I'm pretty old fashioned. So you can just send me an email and I will definitely answer. Um, I got the email right here, jc.x at gmail.com. You can get in touch yeah. with Tanya there. By the way, Nam Ras Prabhu, I want to mention that when you came to LA in 2015, yeah. I I remembered I remember you. Really? And, and this is why I remember you because uh, you actually led Guru Puja, and you like walked in like a rock star, and like, <laughs> you you gave like this amazing Guru Puja, right? And there's like all these Prabhupada disciples there. I'm like, man, who is this person? But this is why I remember you. Because the next day you gave Guru Puja again, and I've never seen that before in LA. Like it's always you you give a Guru Puja, then you got wait two weeks. But I'm like, man, who's this person who just went back to back? And uh, <laughs> oh, yeah, God. yeah. So Guru Puja, that's one of my favorite kirtans to do. And I uh, in Sunday school, I remember as a kid doing it when I was really young, and I just loved it so much. So mm -hmm. I. I appreciation for the LA devotees for being very kind to me and and allowing me to sing it for, for Prabhupada at that time. It was really nice. Wow, I really I really wish I got to meet you at that point when you were there in, in LA. Yeah, yeah. I, I know we met, uh, I think, officially in New York. Yes, I and, uh, We were yeah. talking about this podcast at that time, so... Yeah. Yes. I'm glad it finally took place. Yeah. Oh my God! I'm, I'm. People are people are very appreciative of your of your projects and what you're doing, and uh, you know I have a lot of comments here. You can check them out. People with questions uh, about um, you know your projects and things, and about uh, you know all kinds of appreciation for mm. you. Thank you Thank so much. You. For on i really really appreciate that you're doing a fantastic job and if you want to get in touch with jay Chaitanya, please write to him at this email that i have here below get in touch with him uh you know just to talk just to you know to tell your life story or even uh if you want to get in in you know if you want to connect with him about these different projects or he if you have an idea get in touch with him i think something i'm taking away from a lot of these podcasts is that it's all about personal personalism. Like mm -hmm. when it comes to outreach, when it comes to even devotee relationships, like become personal, get mm -hmm. to know people, get to know, you know, maybe a senior devotee that you're inspired by. And that could eventually become like a very, an amazing relationship uh, of, of uh, mentorship or, or a guru or whatever, whatever, you know, and that's something I'm taking away from, from all these conversations. So that is, uh, it for today. That's episode 41 from Hip Hop to Bhakti with Jay Chaitanya. Again, if you want to check out uh, the fundraiser, latemorning.show, please donate and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you again, Jay Chaitanya. Please stay on. I'm going to shut off the live and uh, we'll talk a little bit after. Thank you, everyone. Thank the you. The Late Morning Program. Hari Bull.